Now, is it is it Jamus or Jamus? Jamus. Okay. I had always pronounced it that way in my head, but then realized about one minute ago <laughs> that yeah. I, I even um, I even Googled it to see what the world thinks, and uh, I guess there's a Jamus bicycle part. Is that right, or a type of bicycle? A type of bicycle. Yep. Okay. Although the, the internet didn't seem to have a consensus around even what its name is pronounced as. I only know how I pronounce mine, but I, I get quite the variety. <laughs> I mean, do people say like "jammy" or anything funny? Um, some, and you know, I've gotten I've gotten uh, junk mail to Janice, mm, yeah. and uh, anyway, all kinds of stuff. People get confused. Well, Jamis. Blame my parents. Yeah, no, I think it's nice to have a unique name. Yeah, I like it. So uh, I. Uh, in preparation for our talk, I was looking back at my Twitter uh, following list because I, I, it felt like I followed you from uh, as soon as I was on Twitter, whenever that was. And uh, let's see, June 2010 was when I joined Twitter, so I wasn't exactly early. But you were number nine that I followed. So, oh, hey. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I must have been introduced to Twitter somehow um, through 37 Signals because... Okay. Of the of the first nine, I don't know four. Were they or five. all? They were all thirty-seven signals. <laughs> maybe, maybe four or five of them okay. were. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Well, hey, we're, we we all have good things to say. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, where should we start? There's lots of good stuff to talk about. I think you're well known in the Ruby and Rails community, but my guess is it'd be most fun to start right with uh, your current your current passion, Basil and Fabian. Yeah. Sure. Um, is it Basil and Fabian or Basil and Fabian? Um, I, I say Basil. Okay. Um, Basil makes me think of the herb. So, uh, <laughs> right. But I, I get them mixed up all the time. I, I accidentally add basil to my bake my cooking and write about basil. So I don't know. I'm not consistent either. <laughs> I know. Well, cooking's on the list of things that we could cover today because you're oh, always excellent. you're always tweeting out excellent photos of uh, <laughs> your latest concoctions. Well, the photos are arguably. <laughs> May or may not be excellent. <laughs> well, the the food looks good at the very least. It's fun, yeah. All right, so let's let's hold the introduction until later. You know what? Okay. We, we don't have to jump. We, we can go out of order if we want to. <laughs> so I've read uh, I've read the the chapters that you've released so far. But why don't we start at the very beginning? Tell me about Basil and and Fabian. Well, Basil and Fabian are an odd couple. Uh, Basil is a wizard. Um, but not your stereotypical wizard. He wears a lab coat and uh, <laughs> kind of plays with uh, chemicals and stuff as much as he plays with magic. And Fabian is kind of a sarcastic, jaded um, manservant. Um, the current story has him a little ner- more nervous than other things I've written ab- about Fabian. But uh, So yeah, that's them, and they, they tend to explore um, different topics and... Uh, Huh. Right, yeah, right now we're we're covering maze algorithms and, and things related to that. So. so I didn't realize that Fabian existed before this story. You know, they both existed. It it actually started when I was working at Thirty Seven Signals. Um, it all started because I had some uh, career and uh, hobby burnout actually that I was really wrestling with, and so I volunteered to do the on-call programmer role. By myself for about four months 
Uh, before that, it was something that all the programmers kind of pitched in and took a week at a time doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was I was kind of popular with the programmers for those four months because everyone got the a hiatus from uh, from on call. <laughs> now I thought that I thought that people burn out from being on call. This was this was <laughs> what you did when you were. Maybe this is why you were burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the interesting thing about on call is that I mean it, it's a lot of you know thinking creatively and, and finding solutions to problems you haven't seen before, of course. But they all tend to be very bite size. It's not like add this feature mm. to something. It's why is this broken. And so for me, it was a really good antidote for burnout because it gave me a lot of bite-sized pieces that um, I could work at mechanically. Right. Well, it's, so sort, it was of, actually really it's sort of like running on a treadmill in some ways. Like the work yeah. comes to you and you've got to put one foot in front of the other, I guess, and you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good metaphor for it. So, yeah, I was doing that for like four months. But, you know, you get tired of answering tickets the same way over and over. And so I started answering in story. Um, not to the customer. This was to the first level support <laughs> staff, and I, I would, in fact, it, I, the first time I did it, it was Basil and Fabian um, scratching their heads about some issue, and uh, so I, I gave the answer to the to the issue with you know Basil presenting the solution, and uh, it, it it was fun. It kind of shook things up a little bit, and uh, my coworkers they were very encouraging. They. They shared them around and laughed, and that encouraged me, and so I did some more of it. And so Basil and Fabian have always kind of been problem solvers. <laughs> now, um, did you draw little illustrations for your responses? <laughs> not, not for the support stuff, no. Hmm. Um, That's too bad. I've never, yeah, I've never really considered myself uh, an artist or, or even much of a drawer, but I've, it's something I've wanted to get better at. And so lately, yeah, the illustrations for the, the articles are kind of a new addition. I like them. It's one of my favorite things about it, actually. Well, thank you. It kind of, I don't know, it, it makes it a little bit different than... Because I, I feel like if you're going to go the storytelling route for explaining something like how algorithms work, mm-hmm. then you kind of got to go all the way. And, and There's got to be some visuals, yeah. Yeah, visuals, the characters have to have personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> my, my favorite thing so far in the story, I think, was when... Uh, Basil is is explaining that there's no such thing as magic, and then uh, like four paragraphs later, creates a, a, a <laughs> circle of thread out of thin air. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I didn't realize at the time you were going to go back and explain, uh, you know, later, like he was going to acknowledge that that uh, contrast. Uh, but right. I, I like that's part of the story. Oh, thanks. It's- that's one of the things about Basil and Fabian is that there's a lot of contradiction in their characters, which I think is what makes them interesting. Makes them very interesting to write, and I, I hope it makes them interesting to read. Yeah. So, so uh, let's let's go through kind of the the uh, the obvious questions around why. Okay. Now, it, these aren't questions I would generally ask. In other words, I don't think there has to be a why. The answer can be, you know, just <laughs> just because. Yeah. Uh-huh. But. Uh, yeah. So, so what? Uh, why did Basil and Fabian need to exist for you? Um, you know, they exist because I needed a way to shake up routine. Um, and it's interesting. It's not like I sat down and said, "Okay, I need to shake this up," and so I'm going to write this response. And uh, here's there's going to be this character and this character, and they're going to have these personalities. Basil and Fabian were really born almost complete. The very first time I, I started writing the story, 
I just knew I needed to do something different, and I started writing a story, and Basil was the first name that came out, <laughs> and Fabian was the second name that came out, and uh, so I don't know, maybe there's something psychological and subconscious behind all that, but uh, it really wasn't a conscious effort. They just kind of flowed from my keyboard. Right. Well, I think it's in reading it, it's interesting for me to imagine both the kind of the yearning to tell the story of these guys and also the desire to explain algorithms. So, mm-hmm. you know, what about the second part? Why is that a, an itch right now? You know, algorithms have always been fascinating to me. I mean, I wrote that series, what was it, a couple of years ago about mazes on my blog and yeah. talked about, I think it was 11 different maze algorithms. And I had so much fun researching those and writing them up. And then, in the last six months or so, I started reading a calculus textbook, of all things, called The Life of Fred. And in it, it's about this three-day-old baby who's learning calculus. And it is, like, totally whimsical and crazy and hilarious. Um, But I've found that it speaks to me really well. Like, um, unlike any other textbook, or any other book about calculus, for that matter... Uh, it, it really put things in perspective and, and gave them a really good context for me. And so I started wondering if Basil and Fabian, who were already pretty good at explaining why something was broken, I wondered if they could also explain why things work. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a big experiment right now. And we'll see when I'm done um, how successful it is, but I'm yeah. having a lot of fun with it. Well, that's a that's a funny idea. So, how how do you measure success, or do, is measure is the wrong word? How do you how do you decide if if the effort was worthwhile? Um, yeah, it's a very subjective thing, isn't it? Um, you know, a year ago, I might have said I would count it based on page views, um, but I'm being very careful not to rate it that way this time because if I were, I'd I'd already have given up. <laughs> Uh, I think the the most recent thing I posted got like 36 page views the day I posted it. Um, and so I, I, I'm not going to measure, I'm not even going to try to measure success of it until I'm finished, first of all. Because I think there's a lot of people who are in a wait-and-see attitude that don't want to start reading and have to stop, you know, doing it episodically. Um, but once I'm done, I think the real measure of how successful it will be will be um, how much I enjoyed it, how much um, how much I improved in my writing and drawing over the course of it, but also, uh, you know, just hearing what people got out of it. Already I've had a few people say how much they've enjoyed it, and I haven't had anyone say that they thought it was a waste of time. So <laughs> I think net positive there, right? <laughs> if anyone says that, you should not talk to that person anymore. <laughs> That is good advice. <laughs> uh, well, here's my plan for it. So I, I've got two, um, I've got three kids, two that are younger. Um, okay. So uh, 11 and 7. And I'm always plotting for how I can get mm-hmm. them either more interested in in science and technology or or just get them interested in all at all. And I've got a 17-year-old too, and I, I was on that campaign with her for a long time, and it worked. Okay. So I, I am going to co-op this... Uh, uh, you know, it's a book in my mind. I'm not sure what you'd call it, blog or book or story, okay. and read it to my 11 and 7 year olds. 
because see. because I think that so far the the first three chapters they would like. Um, okay. I think the seven year old would have trouble with the uh, at least the Tremos uh, algorithm, but I think the eleven year old wouldn't. And uh, I'm excited to see you know how how much it tests their ability to to both stay interested and to comprehend. Well, I hope you will keep me informed on how that goes. Because, you know, that, that actually brings up a third measure of success for it, and that is how much my own kids enjoy it. I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and then two younger ones, but the 12-year-old and the 10-year-old have both been reading along with it so far. And they both, you know, they'll finish reading, they'll say, I love this part, Dad, or I really liked that. And, and uh, the fact that they're following it and enjoying it, you know, that, that's a huge encouragement to me. So did you, are you writing it as a, a children's book or is it just a book that happens to, to work with children because it, you know, is, uh, I don't know, not profane or, or not, not, not family friendly. It is family friendly so far. <laughs> so far. Yeah. Beware. Right. Um, you know, I'm definitely not doing it with an eye towards children as an audience. Um, and, and maybe I'm breaking one of the, the big rules of writing and that I don't even really know specifically who my audience is. Uh, I just know that I want to write this. And I know that there are people interested in algorithms, given the popularity of my RailsConf talk, um, algorithms, what was it called? Algorithm, algorithm is not a four-letter word. Mm. Um, that one still gets a lot of visits. Uh, I still get comments on Twitter about it. So there's interest there. Um, the thing I don't know is... Is there overlap between people who are interested in algorithms and people who are interested in a in kind of crazy story about two weird people? I don't know. Now, what genre uh, of story would is this? Do you think is it fantasy? I, I would say fantasy. Uh, the the existence of magic, whether whether they call it magic or not, I think puts it there. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I was going to say Basil it, just got very upset with you about <laughs> saying that. Yeah got to watch what I say. He's, he's definitely very opinionated. He's going to lecture you. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, you know, one thing that I liked about the last one was that you included a, um, I don't know what you'd call this, the, you know, the, you hit play and it shows how it, it solves the maze oh, using. that dynamic thing, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's something you're going to continue to do, but I think it's an interesting, I, I kind of feel like it's the, it's similar to the illustrations and that it makes it a little bit more than, I don't know, just words. I totally want to do that. I, I, I want to add, and that, that's one of my visions for this blog, is um, in addition to the static illustrations and, of course, the, the text and the story, to have uh, things to, to interact with. Um, I mean, we learn through play, right? That's been demonstrated over and over, that you know, lectures and things like that are one of the least effective means, but stories and then playing is such a huge way to solidify concepts in our heads. And I'm not entirely happy with the Tremo demo. I had a much bigger vision for it, but um, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it happen on the time frame I had. And so um, the Tremo demo feels like a poor man's version of what I'm envisioning. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I thought this, so I, I probably shouldn't even say this, but I did think that the illustration on Tremo uh, like the the handful of specific ones that were about mm -hmm. the intersections, mm -hmm. I thought that that if you had zoomed out and showed it like the simplest form of uh, uh, of a maze that would require Tremo, 
that okay. that it would have been, and then showed like the one line, two lines. What do I do if I had? Which is sort of the version of it that I had read before. Um, okay. I thought that maybe it would have been a little bit easier to to understand, but sure. You know, I would love feedback like this. That's one of the problems with not having a lot of eyeballs on it right now. Is that it's it's uh, kind of vacuum chambery or echo chambery, right? Where I'm I'm kind of getting my feedback and my kids' feedback, but I really appreciate that. I'll, yeah. Well, this is meta meta feedback right now. What I'm going to say <laughs> right this second, but you okay. know what would be really fun uh-huh. is if Basil was on Twitter and you could like give feedback directly to him because I think he's got such a strong personality in the story. I think it'd be very funny to say, "Hey, Basil, I think you, uh, I think you could have." Uh, uh, done a bit better on XYZ or you contradict yourself there or, you know, why'd you get annoyed about that? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that that would be like an alternative version of saying, hey, Jameis, uh, maybe Basil could. Yeah, um, I like that. And I have actually thought about that. I just don't know, like right now, there's, I don't know that there's enough people following the story to justify <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I, I do like that idea. I've thought of a lot of ways... Uh, things to to make Basil more of a character you can interact with. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. I mean, just different things too, like the whole the idea of the interlude that I did instead of a chapter two, where yeah. like for your, your your kids, like you said, your your uh, seven year old might not be into the whole Tremose algorithm, but the story itself. So you could theoretically skip the interludes altogether and just follow the chapters and get the the, the story that way. I thought that the um, the tr- trick you used where y- you came into the interlude to mm-hmm. talk to him, I thought that was fun. I didn't see that coming, and that was, uh, I-, I think especially if you do it in interludes, I think it's a fun way for you to be part of the story, too, aside from just having, you know, the characters in your head. I liked it. You know, I, I actually tried a lot of different things on that interlude, which is one of the reasons I ran out of time, because I was trying to find a way to make this work. The, the reason I finally hit on that one is because I wanted to give some background to the algorithm, mm-hmm. but but Charles Tremo was a real person in our world, right? right? Working on telegraphs, and how do you explain all that in story? Um, but yeah, I, I feel like the the format I hit on for the interlude was was effective for that. Yeah, I think if you were in every chapter, it could be it could break yeah. the story up a little bit too much, but. Um, yeah, and I don't even know if I'll do that on every interlude or not, but uh, I think it worked for that one. Yeah. So uh, how did you go about mapping out the story? Are you kind of going one chapter at a time, or do you have a, a pretty good idea of where the whole thing goes? I have a pretty good idea, actually, um, to the point where I can give spoilers like I did in the interlude, right? Um, <laughs> Which was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, yeah, I have a, I have the whole thing mapped out. I know how this story is going to end. Um but when I first, like, I wrote the prologue before I really even knew what I was going to do. Um, but once I wrote the prologue, I realized that I need I need more. I, I need to be able to say uh, where the story's going so that I don't write myself into a corner and realize that I need to change something that happened three chapters ago so I can make something fit. So I do have it all outlined. This This current story is going to be a prologue and an epilogue and seven chapters. Hmm. Um, so just a, a short, short story, you know, definitely not a novel or anything. Um, and we'll see how the experiment goes from now, there. Did you know that you were a pretty good writer before you started writing? 
Um, or well, were, were, were you a pretty good writer before you started writing? Well, your, your question implies that I'm a good writer now, um, which I, I think, think is debatable. <laughs> I think you're a pretty good writer. Well, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. I, I want to be a writer, and I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, I think I've had strengths in some things and lots of weaknesses in others. About, let's see, it was a year ago, January, I set a goal at saying I wanted to be a writer. And and some writer somewhere had said, if you want to be a writer, you need to write for 10 years or a million words. Mm-hmm. And so being the math person that I am, I'm like, well, okay, a million words. Let's see if I want to do that in three years instead. How many words a day is that? And so I said, you know, I can write a thousand words a day. Um, sure, let's do that. Um, and so for about nine months, I wrote at least a thousand words every day. And uh, I think I got... I wrote something like three hundred thousand words. Wow! Total. What were you and, writing? What were you writing? Well, Basil and Fabian stories. I, I included mm-hmm. the stuff I wrote in support that summer, um, but also just just various short stories. Um, I outlined and started a few different novel ideas I had. I didn't finish anything really, um, because it was all just exercise, right? It's it's the idea that you want to get better at something, you've got to practice it repetitively and consistently. Um, and then about September, for various reasons, I kind of fell off that bus. But um, it was probably for the best, because I realized that by writing every day to a quota, I was exercising just one muscle. Like, I wasn't giving myself a chance to, ex- to practice editing and rewriting, because mm-hmm. those wouldn't have counted towards my word goal. So now, what, you know, with the, the Basil and Fabian stuff I'm doing now... I'm really able to dig in and practice rewriting and editing, and I still have a ton to learn on that. But So I don't know, to answer your question, I don't know that uh, I'm even where I want to be yet, um, but I'm a lot better now than I was a year and a half ago because, you know, practice does that for you. What what pace do you write at? If you, so, for example, if you were to, if you were to look at uh, Basil and Fabian and say, okay, for every hundred words I had to spend and minutes um, to produce a fully edited hundred words. Have you figured out what that is? or is You know, I don't know that I have enough data on that yet. Um, the prologue came together really fast, but it was short. And chapter one is the only real chapter I've written yet, and it was about 3,500 words or something. And it took me a whole week to do, um, but including the illustrations. Right. Actually, chapter one, chapter one actually took two weeks. That's right. Um, but I'm hoping to get that down to a week. For instance, I've got chapter two in the pipeline now. I've got about a third of it, a third of the rough draft done. But I'm hoping to have it done and edited and illustrated in time for a, a you know, to publish it next week sometime. Now, do your kids and family think you're uh, nuts for writing this story <laughs> and spending all this time? Or, or is this kind of par for the course for the sort of thing you would do? <laughs> they know me pretty well, despite this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, my kids love it, and my wife is really, really encouraging. Um, we're we're just doing a lot of experimental stuff in our life right now. Um, I don't know if you saw the news, but I don't work for Thirty Seven Signals anymore. I did, yeah, yeah, saw that. So that was that's been a really big change. Um, I mean, I'm still close with all the guys there. It was a very amicable parting, um, but th- this is a time in my life now to to experiment and try things and I've got, you know, Basil and Fabian, there's a few other things I'm tinkering with and trying and 
Um, Let, let's yeah. talk more about the departure from 37 Signals, but I've got a good segue into the first sponsor, so I should read it. Okay. If you don't mind. All right, so cool. we're, ta- we're talking about learning uh, and practice, and the first sponsor is about, uh, about learning. It's lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com. You can learn more about them uh, on the web at lynda.com slash rubyonrails. So they offer thousands of video courses in software, creative, and business skills. It's everything from web development and user experience to photography and video editing. Uh, They have over 2,400 courses taught by industry experts, and they work with software companies to provide you with updated training the same day new versions hit the market. Uh, That helps you always stay up to speed. They have courses for all experience levels, whether you're a beginner or more advanced, and you get access to them all for a low monthly price of $25. Uh, I've got a handful of courses recommended uh, for listeners. There's Ruby on Rails 4 Essential Training, and then the same for PHP with MySQL, JavaScript, Git, and HTML. If you uh, become a premium member with an annual plan, you can download all the courses to iPhones and iPads to watch them offline. And the courses are broken into bite-sized pieces. So whether you have 15 minutes or 15 hours, you can learn at your own pace on your own terms. Uh, We've got a deal with lynda.com to provide a special offer to access uh, to the entire library for free for seven days. So if you go to lynda.com slash rubyonrails, you can start your 100% free trial. That's lynda.com slash Ruby on Rails. Thanks to them for sponsoring. All right. Uh, that sponsor reader reminded me that I, I thought uh, one opportunity for the podcast that I didn't end up recommending would have been to read the first chapter. Oh. I think it reads very well. I think it would be a good audio uh, audio book. But. Well, yeah, I don't know if I'm the one to read it. I don't know if I have a good reading voice, but uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, I do. Um, I, I've read it. I've read parts of it aloud to my kids and my wife, and uh, it, it's fun. It, it performs well, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Now, do you have voices for the characters? You know, um, when I read it, I don't. <laughs> oh, but in my head, they all have distinct voice, yeah. <laughs> I know Basil that. has a, a deep British accent, and yeah. I can do the deep part, but I don't know if I can do the British part. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be embarrassed to try. <laughs> I won't ask. So, so about uh, 37 Signals. So you were there for a very long time, right? I was. I started there in March of 2005. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, you made it a years. full nine years then? I did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where to start, uh, whether I start at the end or I start at the beginning. So uh, let's start at the end. Okay. Uh, so, why now? You know, why leave now? Um, it's that's a kind of a thick question for me. Um, I've been feeling a lot of burnout. Like I mentioned, the whole Basil and Fabian instance, for instance, you know, that came about because of the burnout, and um, it's been kind of up and down for a lot of that. Um, So I knew that I needed something to change. And my wife and I both have felt very strongly in the last few months that that something needed to change, that uh, we needed to kind of strike out on our own and try something new and and, uh, to go where we needed to go. Um, And uh, and so that, you know, we finally gathered up the courage to jump off that cliff. And uh, and so, yeah, we're in the middle of falling right now and trying to figure out how to deploy our parachutes. Right, but uh, 
it's it's been it's one of those things where we tell people and they're like wow that must be scary and we look at each other and we're like you know it's not scary at all it's just exciting um, oh yeah oh i feel I mean, like this is the thing i feel i i feel so strongly in the same camp as you I, to me the scary thing is that is that you know you only have one life <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the scary part and <laughs> and you know not wanting to i mean I'd, I'd much rather look back and say i i took a few risks then i i didn't that's not even close yeah i mean think of what kind of books you like to read right the ones about the happy bunnies who live in the forest peacefully and then the end of the book <laughs> or the ones that have some adventures right that's a great i've never heard someone describe it that way and i totally agree uh and like what's the worst that's going to happen right? right your story ends <laughs> yeah exactly there's no other really i mean there are bad things that can happen but the story ending is the real rough part <laughs> so, yeah exactly. so what the hell um <laughs> so are you staying uh living in the same place or are you are you moving as well as part of all of this nope we're staying we're we're kind of a fixture here for now here in idaho living caldwell and uh this is where we need to be right now and it's a good place for us i've never been to Idaho at all, actually, let alone Caldwell. It's a great place to live, but you wouldn't want to visit. Is it, is it pretty? <laughs> it is. There's a lot of pretty, especially up north. Northern Idaho is beautiful. Um, kind of southern Idaho is more dry desert. There's a lot of agriculture, but it's all irrigated. And there are, there's some mountains where there's skiing and stuff. Um, so, I mean, if you're into hiking, you got the Sawtooth Mountains, you got things like that around, which are good, but as far as attractions, I don't know. It's it's not a tourist center, but it's a great place to live and raise family. Right, I'm looking on a map now. And you said you've got uh, four kids? Yeah. Is that right? Yep, ages four. Actually, she'll be five next week, all the way through 12. Yeah. All right, so similar to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you decided uh, uh, what's next, or are you figuring that out, or you have, but you don't want to say? You know, we're still figuring that out. My wife has taught piano for a couple years now. She teaches a method called Simply Music, which I don't know, some, some might have heard of, um, which is a fantastic, amazing thing. It's, it's really changed our family a lot. And so one of the things we want to do is focus more on building that up, building that side of the business up and helping her find more students and uh, grow that business out. We've got some plans to do different creative like summer camp ideas one day um summer camp kind of things mm-hmm. um so you know pushing out that side of the business um seeing where that can go but then i've really felt strongly that i need to write and so that's where basil and fabian have kind of come in and uh, i've got some ideas maybe uh, a book idea for uh, maze algorithms in general things mm-hmm. you can do with those and, yeah it's just you know lots of lots of ideas but right. uh, limited time my um my brother is uh well, actually my brother and my mother are both piano teachers. Oh really? Yeah, and uh I didn't know this simply music. What's the what's the thumbnail uh pitch simply, on it? It's a it's a playing based approach, which means you don't learn to read music um until quite a ways into the program, which makes it sound like a Suzuki kind of method, mm-hmm. except it's more pattern based. Um you sit down and you learn pieces by memory. Um, and then you learn to apply the patterns from previous pieces in later pieces, and you branch out. It it actually um, is based a lot on the way language acquisition works, the way children learn language, that you don't teach them to read right away. 
mm-hmm. they just learn by hearing and doing, and then down the road you teach them how the patterns fit together into notes and, and so forth. So if you are a, a, um, a teacher or a school that uses the Simply Music method, is that like, are you out on your own, or do you kind of get a curriculum from them and then build a business around that? You get a curriculum from them. It, you're, you're, you, you're a certified teacher. Um, it's all under their umbrella. It's, it's a big international thing. Um, in fact, it was started in Australia and uh, is really big on the west coast of the United States. It's growing in lots of places. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an organization. They provide the material and the curriculum. But there's a lot of wiggle room in the curriculum, a lot of space to, to add your own creativity and, uh, and to, to branch out. Is it piano only, or does it include other instruments or um, singing well, or, or whatever? There's simply music, which is piano. Um, uh, but there's, they also added a new one for accordion of all instruments. So <laughs> really? Yeah. You can, uh, if you can find a, a teacher that, that teaches the accordion using it, that's one of the, the options. I know they've, they've toyed with um, finding a curriculum for guitar, um, but haven't had much luck on that yet. So. But yeah, it's just piano, and there's singing involved. The idea is that this isn't for someone who necessarily wants to be a, a concert pianist. Mm-hmm. This is more about making music a part of your life, um, that you just want to be able to express yourself in music, but still focus on other things, and uh, it, it's a really balanced approach. Hmm. In uh, in some, Back to the 37 Signals departure, in some yeah. ways I, I was surprised that given kind of how you seem on Twitter, I was surprised that you hadn't left earlier. You know, you have all these pursuits. You've got the mm-hmm. marshmallows and the bow ties and the, and the, I don't know, what else have you been cooking lately? Whatever you've been cooking lately and the oh. stories. And, and uh, it seemed like, uh, you seem like quite an adventurous guy. I, yeah. Eclectic, I think, is a, a good word <laughs> for how I approach life, I think. Yeah, adventurous um, in place, I guess that's... <laughs> armchair adventurer um that's funny but it it's one of those things where um you know i've got all these things that i like to do um but then you say okay but let's let's take the jump and try and make money off some of those Hmm. and that's that's where it gets pretty nervous and you know 37 signals was an absolutely amazing 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 place it i can't even express what an incredible um place that is to work what the people are incredibly generous and kind and brilliant and i just can't even say enough how amazing it was and so it that made the decision to leave so much harder because it wasn't that i was disaffected with the company or my bosses or my coworkers or or anything it was it was just that feeling of burnout and i realized it wasn't fair to them to have to deal with you know, my struggling and it wasn't fair to me to, to keep struggling. Um, and so, and so, yeah, it finally just came down to, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet, but people do this all the time, right? They have a a wild hair and it and make it work. And so that's where we're at. We're going to make it work. Well, and Hey, you've got the, the unique, um, asset of being able to program at a very, very high level. So, yeah, that's that's one of the things that made the decision easier for my wife and I was that, you know, it's not like I'm not employable. I'm not hireable. You know, I've still got viable skills. And down the road, if 
if none of our ideas pan out, then you know I can go back to, to programming. So let's talk about that. So are you burnt out on programming, or was it the, the sort of day job or the stuff you were doing specifically at 37 Signals? Like where, where does the burnout lead? Um, it was programming to some extent. Um, I mean, I had totally stopped programming on the side. I had ceased all kind of hobby programming. And, you know, I, I totally dropped off Twitter for a whole year. Um, I stopped blogging. I gave away all my big projects like Capistrano and NetSSH. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, in hindsight especially, I can see that I was, I was done programming for a while. But it's fascinating to see how, since leaving and striking out on my own, there's a passion for tinkering that has started to come back. To, for, you know, like writing that demo for Tremo's algorithm, for example. Right. I had a lot of fun with that. Um, remembering CoffeeScript and remembering how to play with the, the Canvas element and, and some of this. And, uh, and I've been doing some iOS programming with my oldest son. He and I are playing some game development just to, uh, not necessarily to become famous game programmers, but just to, to learn something new and to work on it together. Are you writing in Ruby Motion or Objective-C? Objective-C. Yeah, I mean, Ruby Motion's great. It really is amazing, but I love C, too. C is my first love as far as programming languages go. Hmm. Um, it was the first programming language where I was like, this is awesome, and I've always loved it. And so I, I really do enjoy um, going to the bare metal that way. Now, do you love Ruby also? Oh, I do. I totally love Ruby. In fact, Ruby is my go-to for prototyping right now. Like uh, the Tremose algorithm, before I sat down and tried to remember how to do CoffeeScript and everything, I sat down and coded it all up in Ruby Motion. <laughs> Ruby Motion in Ruby. Right. And, uh, and used, you know, Chunky Ping to output image files and things like that. So, it, yeah, it's still very much my go-to language. The um, now Burnout's sort of a funny thing, right, in that... Mm -hmm. I, I I've, I've gone through this the same thing now and then. Like so, the Twitter. Um, I, I think you may have inspired my departure from Twitter for a while too. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if that's true, but I think okay. I took six months off or eight months off, and <clears throat> I think that was a, a bit different for me in that I I did so because I wanted to be uninterrupted in as many you know vectors as possible for as long as I could. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Twitter, I decided, was one of the sort of key interruption vectors in my life. So I, I dropped it and yeah. only signed on to email twice a day. And, um, you know, and then I ended up feeling disconnected eventually. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to come back after a while. Yeah. So where are you about Twitter now? Do you like it? Um, I'm getting back into it. Um, I definitely don't check it as religiously as I once did. Which is, I think it's healthy. I think that was a healthy thing for walking away from it as long as I did. Mm -hmm. As it gave me some more perspective. Um, um, I do, you know, I still feel very disconnected. Like when it comes to, for instance, Rails. Um, the last two major releases, I, wouldn't, I couldn't tell you what was new in the, those releases. Hmm. Um, and part of that was the burnout. I just, I just couldn't bring myself to think about it or to look at it. Um, and now at this point, I feel so far from it. I'm like, yeah, there's this thing called Rails, and it's for writing web apps, and that's about as much as I can really tell you about it right now. But well, that's it, saying, that's saying something, right? Because you were you were deep in it for at least the first uh, handful of years at 37 yeah, Signal. Yeah, yeah, 
up into uh, Rails too. I was I was really involved um, in a lot of it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I wrote I wrote some blog articles that really dove into some of the internals, like how the routing matching and generation works, and uh, talking about you know the testing systems and things like that. Right. And I would like to kind of get back into that, and that's one of my ideas for what to do with my all my free time now. Haha. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> right. Um, is to to kind of get back into Rails and and to start blogging about it again. All right. Well, hey, let's take a quick break here to do our second sponsor, and then I want to talk more about Rails, if you don't mind. Sure. All right. So the second sponsor today is the Code Ship. Uh, CodeShip is continuous deployment made simple. You can set up a continuous integration server on the CodeShip in a few steps and automatically deploy to your production system when all your tests have passed. They've got great support for lots of languages and test frameworks. Um, You can check the full list out on CodeShip.io, but as you'd imagine, uh, it includes Ruby and Rails. They integrate with both GitHub and Bitbucket on the... uh, the repository side, and then you can deploy to cloud services such as Heroku, Amazon Web Services, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, or your own servers uh, directly from CodeShip. You can start with a free plan, uh, and setup takes only a few minutes. Uh, If you go to CodeShip.io and check out uh, also their blog at blog.codeship.io, you can learn all about them. It would take you no more than five minutes to to, to read everything that they've got uh, uh, and understand the service. I'd also recommend checking out the video that's on CodeShip.io to learn some more. Uh, so if you've uh, currently, uh, if you currently have a continuous integration solution, want to look at something new, or if you don't, uh, you should take a look at CodeShip. Again, that's CodeShip.io. Uh, thank you to them for sponsoring. All right. So, uh, how has Rails changed over the years for you? I mean, you, you have the unique perspective of, of sort of uh, kind of being involved more recently, but being mm-hmm. much more involved early. Could you ever have imagined it sort of going as it did? And just tell me a bit about that experience. Um, well, I mean, when I, I, I first heard Rails at David's RailsConf talk in, uh, what was it, 2004, um, and so that was my first introduction to Rails, um, and it it sounded great. I loved the philosophy behind it. I never imagined I would be working on it, but you know, six months later, I was. What were you doing at the time? At the time, I was working for uh, BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, one of the software engineers there. We were working on the registration system, things like that. Um, Did you write was... Ruby before you knew anything about Rails? Oh yeah. Okay. I was a big Ruby uh, advocate at BYU. Uh, we were we were a Java shop at the time, and I hated it. Um, so I was trying to sneak Ruby into the system. Um, this was before JRuby, before any of that, and so it was a lot harder to be sneaky. But I I, I managed it. <laughs> um, so I mean, I did some Ruby there. Uh, that's where I really grew passionate about it, and then I went to that Ruby comp. Um, so yeah, I never imagined I would be working on Rails, but once I was, and I started digging into it and seeing what it could do, and I started speaking at, um, like I spoke at a Java users group about Ruby and Rails, and just seeing people's reactions to it, it became clear that this was going places, um, that it wasn't just, 
you know, a, a, a flare-up and die away kind of a thing. So it was really exciting. It was a really exciting, it was very much a Wild West kind of feeling in those days where we wanted to try something, we'd plug the code in and try it and deploy it and, uh, you know, release a new version of Rails. In fact, we ran Basecamp on the very edge version of Rails for a long time. And um, like I said, very, very Wild West kind of feel. So I think in some ways, um, between then and now, I think Rails has matured a lot. It's um, it's a much more stable development. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more established processes behind the releases and the testing and the feedback and and all of that. Um, and then I think security has become a huge emphasis. I mean, in the internet in general today, it's it's a huge thing more than it was ten years ago, but. Um, Ten years ago, it wasn't even something we thought very much about as we were doing Rails. I mean, it, it was there in the back of our minds, but I think it's a it's a it's a much more significant driver now than it was. So, which which do you prefer, the Wild West feeling of Rails or the current more conservative feeling? As a consumer of Rails, I prefer the the new stable, um, you know, predictable kind of path. But as a developer of Rails, the Wild West was exhilarating. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that that's... Um, I would think that that's how just about everyone feels. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's fun when you're... when it, It's fun to not have the constraints about um, how it's going to be used and who's going to use it. When you can just try new ideas and experiment and do new things. You know, that's that's a fun thing to do. But uh, it, it can also be very a very irresponsible thing to do as well. So now, do you think that there's a path where? I mean, do you think that it'd be reasonable for someone to adopt kind of the conservative conservatism or, or overall conservative approach that Rails has now to the beginning, or do you think the beginning sort of initial phase almost needs that wild west in order to to break through and and find new approaches and make progress quickly? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I need to issue a caveat here. I am absolutely and completely unfamiliar with how the Rails development is happening today. It may, like under the covers, it may still be very Wild West. I, I don't know. I don't think it is. Yeah, I, I think there are, if nothing else, I know there are a lot more established processes for announcing and, and releasing than there were. But um, I, think, I think there's a place for the Wild West feeling at the beginning um, that feeling of we don't know where we're going exactly, except you know, riding into the sunset and we're heading that way. But how we get there, we don't know yet. Uh, you have to do some blind exploration, right? Um, but I think in in hindsight, in retrospect, the industry has kind of come up with a lot of um, I hate the the phrase best practices, but best practices. Uh, regarding you know security and being responsible with um, security reports and things like that, but I think you can still take those very seriously at the beginning, and, and probably should take them very seriously at the beginning. Yeah, but uh, I, yeah, I I struggle with that tension personally. You know, I think uh, on my own stuff that mm -hmm. I feel like uh, I feel like it's hard to have those breakthrough innovations if you're not living on the edge a little bit for a while, but. But sometimes doing that can make it hard to get back to a stable place. 
Well, I think I think you know the, this is a big reason why a lot of the big breakthroughs in technology and so forth tend to come from you know universities or or you know research institutions, things like that, as opposed to um, established commercial ventures. It's just not to say the established commercial ventures don't do it too, but um, they've got you know when you're established, you're answerable to more people. Um, whereas, like professors and universities, uh, not so much. And did you write uh, your blog, the Basil and Fabian blog, uh, on Rails? Um, no, it's actually uh, a Jekyll site, so it's all static. Hmm. Um, it's hosted at GitHub. Um, it's a GitHub Pages site, and uh, yeah, it was actually my first experiment with Jekyll. Um, I've been really happy with it. So wh- why do that instead of Rails? Not that I—that's not loaded. Like not that I think not, <laughs> not that I think one is better than the other for this at all. I'm just curious because Rails totally could not handle the volume of requests <laughs> that my blog gets. <laughs> I love that about people talking about Jekyll. How they're they're all worried if they get you know I don't know inundated with traffic, and you could sum up all the traffic that all of the Jekyll, Jekyll blogs have ever received. And I'm pretty sure a little yeah. bit of caching on the front end of Rails would do just fine. But oh yeah. Yeah, I have no doubt that Rails could handle, especially <laughs> what I'm doing. But, um, well, maybe there's like there's web scale and then there's Basil and Fabian scale. Basil. See, it's going to happen. You, you just <laughs> mark my words. I, the main reason I went with Jekyll is because, um, you know, part of not having a regular salary is making do with the money you have. Mm. <laughs> and so we're cutting back on a lot of things, including the the web host that I used to 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 have we went back I'm I'm doing RAM node now, mm. um, which I could put a Rails thing on there, but it would use up a lot of my memory allotment and whatnot. So I went looking for options, and for what I need, I don't need a lot of dynamic interaction between right. server and client. There's so, always Heroku if you need in the future free yeah, app hosting, exactly. and I have considered that for a few things coming up too. Yeah. So on that point, the the few things, uh, are, are you open to side projects? Because I know someone's going to ask, so I might as well just ask for you right now. You mean like consulting? Yeah. Anything? Um, right now, I would say no. Um, my plate is really full with um, helping my wife, like uh, watching the kids and getting keeping the house clean so that her lessons can, can proceed there. Right now, that's... Uh, that's kind of a priority for us. And then just spending time working on Basil and Fabian and the other ideas I've had, I, I don't I don't have enough side time right now. But, you know, in a few months, six months, a year, I don't know, that, that could change. Mm-hmm. Let's do some uh, prognostication about Rails. Now, I, know, I know you haven't been knee-deep in it for a while, but mm-hmm. well, where do you think it goes over the next couple of years? I mean, I think you're in a unique position to have actually a... a, a decent guess at this aside from just being a smart guy because of your exposure to to david and in his pull over the whole thing <laughs> so where do you think things go oh, you know i think you have more faith in my prognostication abilities than i deserve um <laughs> i'm really good at looking at the past but uh <laughs> so so if i asked where has it come from you'd, you'd have a good, <laughs> good job yeah i could say you know it started pretty small but it caught on really fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that re- retroactive uh, prognostication. Um, 
you know, I really, I, I, I don't see Rails going away anytime soon. In fact, I see it continuing to grow in popularity, mm-hmm. uh, to grow in reach. Um, but I, I, I think that's kind of a no-brainer to say. Um, that's just a matter of looking at the graph and extrapolating. Um, I think David is really, really good at saying no. Uh, and his, the, you know, the team that he's built up around Rails, they're really, really good at, at what they do. And uh, at, you know, they've got their fingers very much on the pulse of the industry. Um, I, I don't see them making any big blunders in the near future, which would cause uh, share, you know, the Rails market share to, to drop significantly. So, uh, I would think that performance is going to be the, I don't know, one of the few big areas of focus for the next couple of years at least. Yeah, uh, that would make sense. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if that's Rails or Ruby, you know. And I, I think it's it's probably good dose Ruby. Well, and uh, you know, a lot of Rails performance. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot has been done there, like caching yep. and optimization and so forth. But Rails has also relied a lot on Moore's law. You <laughs> no know that, that that hardware is going to improve and memory is going to get cheaper, and and it's relied a lot on that for. Uh, for scaling out, um, and you know, I think that's definitely paid off for Rails. Uh, yeah. But with you know, improvements in Ruby's uh, memory management, improvements in in the Rails core itself, uh, there's you know, that's always going to be improving, and you know, eking out the the last few milliseconds from each request is a is a big thing for David. I know he's talked a lot about that. Yeah, I think my guess is that we're in for an interesting couple of years, given that that you know he's admittedly you know I mean he admits that he's not really a CS guy, and I think a lot of the performance and memory management and kind of next frontier of Rails is decidedly more CS. Yep. So I, th- I think that that tension is interesting. You know, does how how do, how do the two coexist uh, in a friendly way? You know, mm-hmm. or pr- I mean, I think it- productive way at the very least. Sure, I, I think it helps that David has surrounded himself with people who are CS. You know, um, there's some extremely competent computer scientists on the Rails core team. You're right. Uh, I mean, I worked with Jeremy Kemper for eight years, and uh, he's amazing. Uh, he he knows his stuff, and uh, you know, and David honestly knows his stuff really well too. There's no question that uh, when David wants to know something, he he learns it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, though he's not, you know, the the rocket scientist kind of person who just wants to dig in and understand at that level, um, he definitely has the means to to make the science happen as it needs to happen. Are you more a CS or software writer, so to speak? I think I kind of ride the line. I, I like a lot of things about CS. Uh, some of my favorite classes at the university were compiler theory and and grammars and things like that. Um, you know, I've tinkered with writing languages and compilers and parsers. And, um, but it's not one of those things I've had a lot of call to use um, in, in practice, you know. Right. Uh, most of my career experience has been um, non-computer science-y. Well, let's, uh, let's close out and uh, talk about Basil and Fabian once more and you know what's the if, if 
what's the best experience you could imagine as the author of Basil and Fabian in terms of people interacting with it in you about it? I like the best possible scenario is that Basil and Fabian become real to other people um, to the point where other people want to know what's what's going to happen to them next where a story finishes and people ask me what where do they go next what happens um, that is probably the best possible scenario along with that like the cream on top of it would be if people wrote me and said you know I didn't understand Trimo's algorithm or Dijkstra's algorithm until I read Basil and Fabian and then it all made sense like that would be cream on top so I was uh, on that point I was surprised uh, to notice while we were talking that the the license that you made was non-derivative mm-hmm. it seems like the first goal you had I could imagine people, like, uh, I could imagine someone going, oh, it'd be fun to have Basil or Fabian, or Basil with Fabian describe how XYZ works, where XYZ is something other than what you're thinking of having them describe, and, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. fan-fictioning their own Mm -hmm. chapter or story. Is that something that sounds good or bad? Have have you ever read fan fiction? No, why would I read fan fiction? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um the problem i think people like to write fan fiction they do like like to write i have no problem with people writing fan fiction like if someone else really gets into it and wants to write a basil and fabian story you know knock yourself out my problem would become would be in there then trying to distribute that as part of the basil and fabian universe um that that's where i i and maybe my opinion on that will change but right now that makes me a little uncomfortable if someone wants to collaborate on something and talk to me about it, you know, I'm open to, to talking about it. But yeah, I don't want just Pell-Mell, Basil and Fabian springing up all over the internet, <laughs> which honestly, I, I don't think that's super likely to begin with. No? But you know. never know. You yeah, never I was going to say, these fan fiction people are pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I wish you all the best on Basil and Fabian. I think it's... Uh, my favorite projects that people do are those that are just because they want to do them. Nothing beats that. Yep. And uh, I look forward to whatever chapter two ends up being. Well, thank you very much, Sean. I really appreciate being on your show. All right. Thanks, James. See ya. Bye.